<laughs> it's good to see you all. Um, yeah, as far as the Tao Te Ching video goes, uh, I've done chapter one, part one, chapter one, part two, and then yesterday I did chapter two, part one. So there's three videos out there now. Um, I have a pretty busy week this week, so I don't know if I'll get to chapter two, part two this week. It might be next week, but that's okay because, you know, people probably need time to catch up anyway. Jacqueline's eating. Yay. I just finished. <laughs> I stuffed my face really fast so I could come here and teach. <laughs> it's good to eat. I was so hungry. I was starting to get a little headache. Jacqueline and I had a meeting. I told Jacqueline, Jacqueline, I got to go because I got to eat before I teach. So <laughs> see Rhoda's drinking. Uh, that's good. That's good. Well, hey, everybody. It is good to be here with you. Let me turn on my chat. I don't always, just to let you guys know, even if I have the chat turned on, I don't always see what you type there. So you should be aware of that. My my eyes aren't always on the chat, but occasionally I'll catch something there. But just, you know, if you type something there for me, just realize I may not see it. Uh, so, oh, here's footsteps upstairs. I think Ron just got home. All right. He's been out of town. All right. Um, so shifting from rushing into being, because rushing is what I've been doing the last 25 minutes. We are here for seven steps to awakening and out of the stillness. And we are ready for number 316. So um, <clears throat> let me read number 316 for you out of seven steps to awakening. If you seek real happiness, unassailable and unchangeable, you must leave the world with its pains and pleasures behind you. Again, if you seek real happiness, unassailable and unchangeable, you must leave the world with its pains and pleasures behind you. All right, so let's just go right into out of the stillness and see what I wrote when I contemplated that. The nature of the world is change, yet one's true nature is constant. Constancy must be as it is because that is its nature. Deluded ideas that lead to world attachment and identification distract from true nature, which is constant. Deluded ideas are inharmonious with true nature. This creates a perceived conflict or struggle. All suffering is the result of apparent disharmony with true nature. Since harmony cannot be established in a dream, because change is the nature of a dream, awakening to truth is the way to establish or realize harmony. Since the world is a dream with change as its nature, detachment from the world is a necessary part of awakening willingness. And awakening willingness is hyphen like one word. Detachment from the world is a necessary part of awakening willingness, which is a necessary part of awakening to constancy. So I want to start with this sentence, detachment 
from the world is a necessary part of awakening willingness. Earlier this week, uh, for a completely different reason, um, I actually wrote with inner wisdom and I can't remember everything that I wrote with inner wisdom or I would share it, but I, right now it's not recalling to my mind. Uh, but in that writing, inner wisdom differentiated between detachment and disassociation. And it's interesting because after inner wisdom differentiated between them I went and looked them up and in some definitions they're the same thing um, and so I thought this was a pretty cool point because when you're reading spiritual teachings and you're reading um, you know these masters they often talk about detachment I personally haven't read a master that's talked about you know disassociate from they always use the word detachment right detach from and so I thought it was really good to look at the difference between detachment and disassociation, because even though masters always ask us to detach, I think sometimes the mistake that we make is we disassociate. Yes, y'all already shaking your heads. You already know where I'm going with this. So to disassociate um, is to separate yourself from something in order to protect yourself. That's to disassociate, to separate yourself from something in order to protect yourself. And so one common mistake that we make is we disassociate from, uh, from our feelings, right? Um, we might even disassociate from our thoughts if we're afraid of our thoughts. Um, we often disassociate from somebody else's feelings. You know, I remember, uh, you know, this is kind of an old story, but, you know, once upon a time, A Course in Miracles students were accused of, you know, when someone else's close person died, whether it was a spouse or a child or whatever, when somebody else's close person died, they would say that person, but they were only an illusion. <laughs> uh, and really what was happening was the course person who was doing that was disassociating from the other person's mourning because they were afraid of it, right? So disassociating is when we separate ourselves from something in order to protect ourselves. And you can see why masters would not recommend disassociation. Detachment, and I wish I had my little piece of paper with me where I wrote this with inner wisdom so I could read the exact words, but um, I will just do my best since I don't have it. Detachment is not looking at it with the filter of your mind. Uh, I think the way the dictionary stated it, because I looked it up with the dictionary, I think the dictionary stated it as something like without bias. In fact, let me see what my little dictionary says here. This one's kind of cheap. It doesn't always have the best definitions, but let's just say, see what it says. Yeah, it's not. it's not very good. It says the state of being objective or aloof. <laughs> uh, but when I looked it up in a, in a better dictionary that had, you know, better definitions, uh, it said without bias, detachment is without bias. Uh, and what spirit was pointing out is that when we're 
being asked to be detached or being asked to look at something or be with something without looking at it or being with it through the filter of the person. That's detachment. And you can see that's completely different than disassociation. Right? So when this says, since the world is a dream with change as its nature, detachment from the world is a necessary part of awakening willingness. It doesn't mean separate ourselves from the world and avoid feeling whatever the world may lead us to feel, right? Uh, what it's saying is don't look at the world through the filter of your personality conditioning. That's what it's saying. And in fact, I think writing with inner wisdom is a, is a good way to do this. Because until our personality conditioning is not primary in our view, which at some point it won't be, but at the, in the beginning, it is primary in our view, which means everything we see, we see through the filter of our mind, right? Everything we see, we see through the personality's conditioning and through the thoughts that are you know running by here. So when that is still the case, when we still are just, just looking with the personality's mind, and that's just what's happening, uh, going to inner wisdom is great because when we sit down with inner wisdom, inner wisdom shows us how to look at that same thing without that filter. In other words, what inner wisdom is teaching is detachment. And again, detachment doesn't mean we don't feel. It's inner wisdom that taught rest, accept, and trust, which is all about feeling. But the difference is when you're feeling with rest, accept, and trust, you're not looking at it through the personality's mind, which might be going on and on and on about the story that seemed to trigger these feelings, right? So detachment from the world is a necessary part of awakening willingness. Another way to say that is learning to look at the world with new seeing, with clarity, instead of through the personality's conditioning, is a part of awakening willingness. So let me just go back to the beginning and see if there's anything else that really jumps out at me about this that I want to share on. The nature of the world is change, yet one's true nature is constant. Constancy must be as it is because that is its nature. And again, any of us who have ever paid attention to awareness, we know that awareness is as it is, right? You could also argue the mind is what it is, right? The mind is the one that's constantly changing, constantly has different points of view, blah, blah, blah. But awareness is just that constancy. And it's never anything but that constancy. Awareness never moves from being itself. Awareness never becomes the mind, right? Attention goes into the mind, but if attention goes back to awareness, it finds awareness has not changed at all. It's remained exactly the same. And in fact, of course, that's the, the what is constant game, right? Constantly checking as things change, constantly checking and noticing that what is constant is still constant. It has not changed, even though 
you know, I've been thrown from a horse and I'm laying on the ground and, you know, my mind is telling me I might've broken my neck or my back and I'm not certain I haven't. Look at awareness. It's exactly the same as it was before, right? It's constant. It's always constant. So the nature of the world is change. Yet one's true nature is constant. Constancy must be as it is because that is its nature. Deluded ideas that lead to world attachment and identification distract from true nature. That's an important sentence too because it says it's only distracting from true nature. In other words, attention is going out to these deluded ideas to this world attachment and world identification. But constancy is still here being constant. It hasn't changed. We're just distracted away from it. We're just not looking at it. And I remember uh, it might have been in A Course in Miracles. It might have been somewhere else. But in my early years as a spiritual student, I, I remember reading somewhere or spirit was talking to me and I read it there. I don't know. But somewhere it would say to me, you're just looking away from it. And I used to get so pissed off. <laughs> like, what does that mean? I'm just looking away from it. You know, I had no idea what that meant. Uh, you know, what am I supposed to do? Turn around? Nope, the world's still there. Uh, but it meant that I was so caught up in these thoughts and these reactions and, and, what, and the happenings in the world, I wasn't noticing the quiet constancy that was there the whole time. Right? I was distracted away from it by the movement, by the drama. Deluded ideas that lead to world attachment and identification distract from true nature, which is constant. Deluded ideas are inharmonious with true nature. Inharmonious. So the way I the way I hear that is it's singing a different song. Right? It's singing a completely different song. You know, have you have this real quiet, silent, peaceful song over here, and then you have this, you know, notes jumping all over the place over here, right? They're not this, it's not the same. It's singing a completely different song. Deluded ideas are inharmonious with true nature. This creates a perceived conflict or struggle. Notice it doesn't even say it's an actual conflict or struggle. It creates a perceived conflict or struggle. All suffering is the result of apparent disharmony with true nature. So what does that mean? That means that within each and every one of us, whether we're on this path to awakening or not, there is something that we naturally, I'm going to say naturally crave. This maybe is the, is the right use of the word craving. There's something that we naturally crave, and that's constancy. Right? That's what we want. Whether you say you want constant peace, constant um, contentment, a constant sense of security, Somewhere within us, we naturally crave constancy. And the reason we naturally crave constancy is because we naturally crave our true nature. But the problem is, 
we try to find that constancy in the world, which is never, ever going to be constant. It's changing. So we try to fi find constancy in this love relationship, or we try to find constancy in this job security, or we try to find constancy in this home, or we try to find constancy in this friendship, or, or whatever. And nothing ever stays the same. And this says, all suffering is the result of this apparent disharmony with true nature. All suffering is the result of trying to find constancy in change. You know, and if you just listen to that sentence, you can see that it's a, a fruitless effort. You're never going to find constancy in change. And yet that's what we try to do without knowing we're trying to do it. That's what we try to do. And that's why we suffer. Since harmony cannot be established in a dream, or we could call it in the world, because they're the same. Since harmony cannot, notice it says cannot be established. It's never going to happen. You're never going to find that constancy here, right? It's like, it's like the impossible dream, the true impossible dream. Since harmony cannot be established in a dream because change is the nature of a dream, awakening to truth is the way to establish or realize harmony. So the only way we're going to find that harmonious state, that constant state that we seek, is to wake up to our true nature. It's the only answer. It's the only end to seeking. Since the world is a dream with change as its nature, detachment from the world is a necessary part of awakening willingness. So again, now we understand what detachment means. What this is saying is, if I want to realize that constancy that I naturally crave, then I, then I need to start releasing my identification, my attachment, and my thoughts upon the world, because they're all seeking the constancy there. That's what they are doing. And it's never going to work. So I need to start releasing all of that, quit looking to the world for my constancy, and start looking in the proper direction. Since the world is a dream with change as its nature, detachment from the world is a necessary part of awakening willingness. We let the world be the world. We let things shift and change. We let what happens happen without our desires thrust upon it. I want this to be this way. That's really what we mean by our desires. I want this to be this way. And whenever we're saying to the world, you know, I want this to be this way, we are attached. We talked about this last time. We think we're going to find our happiness. We think we're going to find our constancy in the world. So we must, if we want to awaken and realize true constancy, which is the only end to our seeking, we must at the same time stop saying, I want this to be this way in the world. We have to allow the world to be the change that it is while looking back towards ourself for the constancy. 
since the world is a dream with change as its nature, detachment from the world is a necessary part of awakening willingness, which is a necessary part of awakening to constancy. That's saying you, you need that willingness. You have to have the willingness that you won't awaken if you aren't at least willing to awaken. And uh, that's the end of number 316. So we'll skip over to 318 next. So 318 comes from the Supreme Yoga. And um, this is the, oh, but let me go back and read 316 from Seven Steps to Awaken again. You'll see how the quote really fits with what we just looked at from my journal. If you seek real happiness, unassailable and unchangeable, you must leave the world with its pains and pleasures behind you. See how the two are the same? So now looking at 318, which is from the Supreme Yoga. All enjoyments in this world are diluted, like the lunatic's enjoyment of the taste of fruits reflected in a mirror. <laughs> That would be really crazy. <laughs> I, I have this image now, because of course these guys are all Indians. So I have this image now of this Indian guy hopping around in front of a mirror, being all excited about this fruit that's actually in a basket behind him. <laughs> this lunatic jumping around like in the fruit. All enjoyments in this world are diluted, like the lunatic's enjoyment of the taste of fruits reflected in a mirror. All the hopes of man in this world are consistently destroyed by time. You can see the, the change you know, in there, right? Again, anything we latch onto, eventually, eventually we lose, right? Anything and everything. In fact, bodily death is losing everything, right? All enjoyments in this world are diluted like the lunatic's enjoyment of the taste of fruits reflected in a mirror. All the hopes of man in this world are consistently destroyed by time. So if we look at 318 and out of the stillness, what pleasures can I find in this world? What is so sweet to me? that I may say, as long as I have that, I can be content in this world. Can that which I love in this world last? As time passes, will it change or be taken away? Can everlasting joy be found in the pleasures of the world? Or does every pleasure eventually turn to loss nostalgia or pain so it's an interesting question to ask you know you don't have to answer it out loud but just ask yourself what is so sweet to you that you might say as long as i have this i can be content in this world just take a moment and Think of at least one thing that you think, boy, if this, if this is always here, I'll be happy. And as you look at it, 
go ahead and notice that craving for constancy, right? If this was always just like this, I could be happy. You see how you really do want constancy? But then the next question is, can that which I love in this world last? Can what you're imagining, if it was always this way, I'd be happy. Can it always be that way? Realistically. As time passes, will it change or in some way be taken away? Can everlasting joy be found in the pleasures of the world? Or does every pleasure eventually turn to loss, nostalgia, which means it's no longer here, so all you can do is look back fondly, right? Loss, nostalgia, or pain. I feel like um, stopping and letting anybody who wants to share, share on what you're seeing as, as we're looking at this. Okay, Mickey. So I was just thinking that this can also apply to negative stuff as well. Um, I have a famous belief that I talk to a lot of people about that goes, if you were different, I'd be happy. <laughs> you know, or if it were different, I'd be happy. And so my my attachment is is more in line with um change the constancy i think but i think it's the same thing thank you yeah thanks regina um what came to mind to me for me was hell you know effect and obviously when you started mentioning the effects of time um it's obvious that that's going to go away at some point um, that I just seem to do better when the body feels better. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's all I've got to share. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is we can't make the body feel better. You know, that's, that's really a part of what this lesson is telling us. If we're looking to anything in the world, including health, as the source of our happiness, we're going to be disappointed. You know, the only way we're going to find our true constant happiness is to realize our true nature. That's what this is talking about. Yeah. when you mentioned dissociation earlier and gave the definition of that, um, that was, that was a powerful pointing for me. Yeah. That's all. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. I, I am not on camera because my hair is really having a really bad hair day. So <laughs> hope you, you all can appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it's funny because if you look at all my videos, you'll find that I definitely have bad hair days. <laughs> I go on video anyway. 
<laughs> there's not this little perfect looking Regina in these videos. It's whatever showed up that day when it was time to make a video. Uh, sometimes my PJs, sometimes I'm in my workout clothes. It's just oh, time to make a video. <laughs> the video gets made. <laughs> um, anybody else want to share on this contemplation from 318? All right, Patricia. Hi, Regina. When you said that, I I remember Joe Goldsmith, and he said that what he had in his world that that um um reminded him the most of God was his mother. And, and uh, so, to me, um, is my son one of my sons um, and and I thought how would I be without him like if something were to happen to him and it, it can, I just kind of like um, uh, lose yeah there's something in NTI Hebrews I don't know if I can find it quickly but it says something like um, as you look at your dreams and imagine letting them go, uh, you can kind of tell, I don't think I'm even going to look for it. You can kind of tell how attached you are by, well, by what you're feeling right now. In other words, what this is telling you is you think your happiness or your constancy is found in him. And there's nothing wrong with loving our children, right? I mean, that's perfectly normal. But there's a difference between loving something and being attached to it. And I think we often mistake attachment for love in this world. We think attachment is love. And you can love and be detached. In fact, the more detached you become, the more you actually love. What I was encouraged to do, and whether you want to do this or not, Patricia, is completely up to you. I'm just telling you what my inner wisdom encouraged me to do at an earlier time was to literally, and this is in NTI Hebrews, to literally imagine myself losing these things I was attached to and in my imagination, see myself being okay. And it said, as I do this, I am becoming more and more detached and being prepared to let go of dreams. Right? Doesn't mean you ever actually have to lose the thing. You know, whatever it is that you're attached to. It just means that you get to the point where that isn't the source of your happiness. You may be happy with it, love it, but that isn't the source of your happiness. The, the only source of our happiness that we can count on is our true nature. Thank you for sharing. Anybody else want to share? Uh, let's see, Rhoda. Oh, wait, Ruby, are you here first? Okay, Ruby and then Rhoda. Okay, everybody can hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, 
Well, I just came back from the fear uh, retreat that was done by Anne. Uh, so I was looking at fears, which are my attachment too. And the two fears that I was looking at, one of them was a really deep down fear, but I'm just going to re review it briefly. Just one thing. It had to do with my approval of others. And the other one had to do with my illness, you know, but we, I think that retreat was so effective. I have really have looked at both of those. I was working on them before, but now I'm still working on them, but it is just really not what came up today. So I wanted, I just wanted to say that I am so happy with the, the, the process that Anne went through with the fear retreat because it was totally effective and I'm still working on those, but it wasn't the one that came up today. So I'm going to be brief about the ones that come up today. Oh gosh. The first one was my house. I love my house. <laughs> and then I answered the question and I didn't want to say this because this is superficial, but this it's not superficial. Let's love our houses. Yes, <laughs> And the second one was money. I'm retired now and I'm looking at these articles say, you know, can you live off of 500,000 in retirement? And then another one says, can you live off a million dollars in retirement? And I was like, oh my God. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. But I also answered the question which you asked absolutely no that this is going to last forever whatever the question was and money oh can it last it can it no too so i'm going to do exactly what you suggested um uh the gal to do imagine I'm sorry. being okay without it. absolutely so thank you very much that was the guidance that was given to me. Just, you know, it's funny because the power of imagination when it's right use of imagination is incredible because as we've all been told, the brain doesn't know the difference between actual imagination. Yeah. So when we're imagining ourselves, I can't live without this, that's getting programmed into our brain. When we're imagining yeah. ourselves, I'll be okay if I don't have this, that's actually getting programmed into our brain. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Rhoda. I'm just getting a kick out of the um, the habitual nature of mind. Buckets, the buckets have been the same for a very long time and everyone's already talked about them. Can I have all the money? Can I have happy children? And can I be healthy? Like, and it just makes me laugh because first of all, Imagining the children being happy all the time. That's just the funniest thing I ever heard. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, yeah, there's still, but I still feel the pull to all the money. I still feel the pull. And I find it funny because as I heard Ruby say, can you live off 500,000? Can you live off a million? I thought, huh, I haven't like... <laughs> 
I could probably, I mean, who knows what we could live off of? Like, I still don't understand money. I'm still amazed by money, like where it comes from, how it gets spent, how come it keeps showing up? Who the heck knows? But I still, I still notice there is a habitual pull of attention to go and say, yeah, but if I had, and I never heard it said as constancy in that, I can feel like how much I would have called it security. Yeah. But it really is a sense of constancy. I can feel how strong that pull is. Just yeah. want constancy. Well, you know, when you talked about money, I went and checked the stock market real quick to see what it's doing. And today's not bad, see? <laughs> but yesterday was exactly the opposite. You know, I think I think that having some money in the stock market and looking every day is a great way to release your attachment to money because it's, okay, it's good, looking good, 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 then boom. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you can really just see that, you know, you can, you can just see your attachment if there is one. And you can just work on letting it go, let go of the high when it's going up and let go of whatever it is that you feel when it's going down. You know, some people say, don't look every day. I'm sure there are days I forget, but I look almost every day. And a part of that looking is, uh, I would say I'm not detaching anymore. I'm just um, maintaining my neutrality. Thank you. I look to maintain my neutrality. Yeah. Thank you. The headline on the news last night was something about Wall Street is shocked you know, by, by yesterday's downturn. Of course, today it's looking a little better again. And, you know, that's what it always does. That, you know, the stock market is a is a wonderful symbol of the world. Right. It's a wonderful symbol of the world. It's just. I, I think when I was um, contemplating at least part of the seven steps. I don't, not yet. I don't think, because I think right now, I think we're in 2012 still. And I didn't discover La Vida until I think 2013. But from the first time that I went to La Vida, uh, I was in love. I mean, more in love than I've ever been in love with a man. Don't shoot, don't tell him. I mean, just head over heels in love. <laughs> and, and from that time forward, um, I wanted to live there. I started looking at real estate immediately and I looked at it almost daily. Uh, and, you know, it really wasn't my intention to have the Awakening Together retreat house there. That came through another person. Uh, La Vida was the place I was going to run away and get away from everybody, including y'all. I mean, it was going to be my little secret place, um, which didn't work out that way because <laughs> now y'all are there all the time. But, uh, but I love La Vida. And so later in the seven steps, in fact, it would have had to been around 2019, probably, you know, when, when by then I had a home there, a condo there, and I'm sitting there doing the seven steps and I would sit and I would look out the window at the West Peak. And I realized that was my attachment. My attachment was to this beauty. Like as long as this beauty stays the same, I can be okay. Everything else can change. I can lose my family. Heck, I thought about running away from my family there. You know, I mean, everything else can change. But what I want is this beauty. But as I sat there in 2019, looking at the West Peak, I realized that behind me in 2018 had been a 109,000 acre fire. Mm -hmm. 
And that could happen in front of me too. Like not even that beauty is guaranteed. And I would sit there and I would look at that and realize, you know, the mountain itself can't burn, of course, but the vegetation can burn. And the sadness that I felt about that was my attachment to the world. And I would just look at it. I mean, there's nothing else you can do. I would just look at it and realize this is a symbol of my attachment to the world. If you read later in my journal, you'll notice I'm talking about uh, what if the mountains are pulverized? Like mm -hmm. I'm going even beyond a fire. What if something happens that the mountains just are pulverized? Can I be happy with that? So there was lots of recognition of how my attachment to the world showed up and realizing that my attachment to the world was an error, right? It was an error and that anything in the world, even the beauty of the mountains can be taken away. And so if I'm attached to anything in the world, I can suffer. I can't remember if it was Jacqueline or Shauna. Neither one of you guys know this, so this will be this will be new to you. I can't remember if it was Jacqueline or Shauna, but one of them I was secretly pissed off with for a little bit because they were living my dream. And of course, Jacqueline never appreciated it. At least Shauna did. <laughs> And now Shauna's moving into 2B, which was my really my dream place, right? Which I'm totally okay with now. But I mean, I, I had to look at that. I had to look at the fact that I was pissed off at one of them because they got to live there in La Vida. It might have been Shauna because Shauna really got to know a lot of people, but I'm not sure it could have been Jacqueline too. Uh, they got to live there in La Vida, which is all I ever wanted. And they were living there and not me, Right. And I had to really look at that attachment because that attachment is an obstacle to peace. That attachment is an obstacle to truth. Occasionally, if you read all of, all of Out of the Stillness, if you ever get around to that, I know it's a big book, you're going to read me talking about letting go of my last dream. I don't know if I ever spell out what that last dream was. Yeah, Sina says she's seen it. That was living in La Vida. That was the dream. So we all have ways of seeking that constancy in the world. And we need to look at those ways because every one of them is an attachment that's in the way of us realizing our truth. We can't be looking out here for constancy and be looking this way for constancy at the same time right? It's one or the other. So seek out, find out what are my attachments? And whether it's your child, whether it's money, whether it's the beauty of the mountain, it doesn't matter. They're all the same. You know, Peace Pilgrim used to say that the ego knows the weakest spot in your armor. And there's something like that. It's not worded that way, but it's in Angelo's book. 
about how the ego really knows how to get you, right? So it knows which attachment you will be attached to without even noticing that you're attached, right? Like a child, you know, that's a perfect example, right? It's, 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 it seems normal. <laughs> it seems like it's what every good mother is, you know, every good mother is attached to their children. <laughs> Would you believe that's, that's just the ego? Rhoda's <laughs> like having a, <laughs> it's too funny. <laughs> yeah. It's the ego. Yeah. <laughs> you know, somewhere I read something about, um, you know, like if you're about to go through the eye of the needle, like you're about to wake up, that there could be one thought that would pull you back. And that one thought could be, oh, my child needs me. Or, oh, but, 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 you know, like these are what these attachments have the power to do. Yeah. So let I, me just oh, go ahead, Rhoda. You want to say something? Thank you. That's all. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah, I also heard once that when people laugh, it's because they recognize the truth in what you're saying. <laughs> and Rhoda was really laughing. So I think she had a big recognition there. <laughs> um, let me go ahead and read this again. What pleasures can I find in this world? This question is so good. What is so sweet to me that I may say, as long as I have that, I can be content in this world. Now that's how I felt. If I, I if I can just sit here and look at this mountain for the rest of my life, I'll be fine. Isn't that crazy? I even said that out loud to a friend once when we were sitting there. Well, actually, we were sitting at the coffee shop just being in town, but I just said, you know, I could just sit here until I die in La Vida. I could just sit here until I die, be completely content. I'll tell you what, La Vida changes all the time <laughs> for a little bitty town it's amazing how much it changes so if you get attached to anything there you're likely to lose it in a year or two right it's pretty much guaranteed what pleasures can i find in this world what is so sweet to me that i may say as long as i have that i can be content in this world do you see how that might be the one thought that would pull you back when you're about to go through the eye of the needle? As long as I have that, I can be content in this world. You know, I'm reminded right now of Jesus saying that, um, what is it he said that, are, that are, it's, it, he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, this is what makes us the rich man, whatever it is that we're answering this question about, right? What is so sweet to me that I may say, as long as I have that, I can be content in this world. That's what makes us that rich man. Even if it's not money. What is so sweet to me that I may say, as long as I have that, I can be content in this world. Can that which I love in this world last? As time passes, will it change or be taken away? And I remember one answer in my mind to that question when I was contemplating this 
was at the very least, like let's say there never is a fire on the mountain, right? But at the very least, it's going to be taken away when I die. Right? So there's nothing in this world that can last forever for me. Nothing. Can that which I love in this world last? As time passes, will it change or be taken away? Can everlasting joy, listen to that, everlasting joy, can everlasting joy be found in the pleasures of the world? Or does every pleasure eventually turn to loss, nostalgia, or pain? So again, just something to look at. You know, what am I attached to? In fact, what am I possibly so attached to that I didn't even notice it as an attachment? I was just kind of taking it for granted as the source of my happiness. We have nine minutes. Let's try moving forward and see what happens. It doesn't feel like a lot of time to me, but let's see what happens. So we're going to move to 323. 323 in the seven steps to awakening says, when this notion of the object is firmly rejected and removed from the subject, then consciousness alone exists without even an apparent or potential objectivity. And of course, that object, you know, based on the discussion we just had, that object to be whatever I'm attached to, right? When this notion of the object is firmly rejected, and of course, sometimes these guys use these this type of language. You know, it's just the way the, the Hindu masters seem to talk. I usually am a little lighter. Um, instead of firmly rejected, which to me sounds kind of like pushing away, um, I might say um, consistently recognized as an error, right? So when this notion of the object is consistently recognized as an error, that's more Regina style, and removed from the subject, then consciousness alone exists without even an apparent or potential objectivity. In this case, objectivity means there are no, there's no longer a subject and an object. There's just the one, right? Just the one. So let's see how I contemplated that. What causes the illusory experience of I and world? It is caused by focusing on objects and experiences as the hopeful source of joy. In other words, giving value to objects and experiences creates the experience of I and world. This is why one must lose interest in the world in order to realize truth. If one looks away from self, apparent other than self occurs. By looking only toward self, the illusion of other than self dies. Now what's jumping out at me that I want to talk about in this particular journal entry is this is why one must lose interest in the world. So what does that look like when we lose interest in the world? 
Losing interest in the world means not placing our value there. Or as Jesus said, you know, don't don't put your treasure where, uh, what is it, rust and moths may get it, right? Instead, put your treasure in heaven. That's what this is saying. It doesn't mean that I won't continue to live this life and have what experience, whatever experiences are going to come to this character, because that does happen. You know, you could say that the character is on some kind of a karmic path and that path continues to unfold. But where is my attention while that path is unfolding? Is my attention on that path that the character is traveling through as if some things in that path can make me happy and some things on that path are to be avoided because they, they will be my obstacle to happiness. If my attention is on the character's path in that way, then I have interest in the world. If, however, my attention is on the constancy, the path is still unfolding. The character, the body, the personality is still going through whatever it's going to go through. And that way, nothing has changed. But where is my attention? If my attention is on checking for what's constant, even as all of this is shifting and changing, right? If my attention is on awareness, presence, whatever you want to call it, constancy, then I've lost interest in the world. It doesn't mean this body is, isn't still getting up and going out and doing whatever the body gets up and goes out and does, because Ramana Maharshi was very clear, the body will do whatever the body is supposed to do. So we're not talking about the body no longer moving. We're talking about where is my attention as the body is moving? Again, is my attention on the path that the body is taking through the world, thinking that things need to be a certain way for happiness? Or is my path just, is my attention on the awareness, noticing its constancy, while the path is just happening? Without attempting to control it, without thinking things need to be a certain way, just letting it unfold in whatever way it unfolds while my attention is here. And what you'll find if you lose interest in the world that way is that you will get in touch with that constant happiness. And, and the symptom of the constant happiness, the way that you really notice it is you the body will go through something that you know for a fact <laughs> that if you had the interest in the world that you used to have, this would make you very unhappy and yet you notice there's no change in your happiness right you're still going through this thing whatever it is but you're fine as you're going through it and that's the symptom that you can recognize where your attention has now shifted to the constancy see the constancy isn't something that you can see like you can see the world Right. So the only way to know that your attention has actually shifted to the constancy is the symptom of that ongoing causeless contentment. That, or as it says in the Bible, that peace that passeth understanding. Right. 
Nobody else understands why you're happy with this tragedy in your life or content or able to be at peace with it. Again, doesn't mean tears aren't being shed when somebody dies, but somehow there's peace with tears being shed when somebody dies, you know? Right? There's just this peace that's always there. The house burns down. And there's this, okay, what's next? Right? There's no big, no big suffering over the fact that the house burned down. So life goes on. Attention is with the constancy. The symptom is the contentment, the constant contentment, the peace that passeth understanding. So what causes the illusory experience of I and world? It is caused by focusing on objects and experiences as the hopeful source of joy. In other words, giving value to objects and experiences creates the experience of I and world. Giving value to objects and experiences creates the duality. This is why one must lose interest in the world to realize truth. If one looks away from the true self out towards the world, then apparent other than self occurs. If I look out, something shows up to look at. By looking only toward the true self, the illusion of other than self dies. And with that, we are out of time. So I will see you all next week. Bye.